You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 71 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for August 2019. Well, it's a solo show this month, but a solo show in two parts. Um, First, I'm going to do one of my uh, deep dives into a specific piece of photographic jargon. In this case, uh, aspect ratio is what's up for discussion. And then I get to answer a listener question. And just a reminder, if at any stage anything I say, or, well, anything really, triggers a question in your mind, you can always submit them at letsastalk.ie forward slash photo Q. Okay, so let's get stuck into aspect ratios. So the first thing to say is that from a purely physics point of view, every lens actually casts a circular image. So in theory, if we wanted to absolutely maximize the best possible usage out of our expensive glass, all of our photographs will be circular. It somehow doesn't seem to work for us as human beings. It may be entirely logical, but it doesn't seem to be what we want. Maybe it's because our photo frames would roll off our desks or something. But whatever it is, we we seem to want some sort of thing with orthogonal straight edges, i.e. some sort of rectangular thing. And if the circle is the absolute most efficient, well then the absolute most efficient rectangle would actually be the square. So if we wanted to maximise the use out of our lenses, we would be taking square photographs all the time. But that doesn't that's not how things have gone since the history of photography. Um people have been you know the designer of a camera has to make a choice as to what shape they're going to make the bit where the light-sensitive thing goes, whether that be a piece of film or a glass plate or a slide or a digital sensor. It really doesn't matter what it is. It has to have a shape, and that shape is going to have to fit into the circle cast by the lens. And we've actually ended up with quite a few different circles. And so... You not circles, different rectangles. It's one circle, many different rectangles. So, depending on the camera you have, it will have a rectangle that it uses for making its pictures. And we describe these different flavors of rectangle using the so-called aspect ratio. So, the aspect ratio is simply the ratio between the width and the height. So, if something is as wide as it is tall, then it has an aspect ratio of one to one which is, if you're going to have your mathematics hat on, we would say one-to-one. But for historical reasons in photography, we very often talk about aspect ratios as being something by something. So a one-by-one is something we might say as a photographer, which probably makes mathematicians very cranky. So one-to-one is square, and that is the most efficient way to make use of you know, the most efficient way of getting any sort of a rectangular image out of the circle cast by our lens. If we take the aspect ratio to anything that is not square, then one of two things must be true. Either the photo is wider than it is tall, 
And so that means its aspect ratio will have the big number first. So 3 by 2 or 16 by 9. And in such a situation, we call that landscape orientation. So landscape orientation means it is wider than it is tall. It means its aspect ratio has the big number first. Or the other thing that could be true is that the photo is taller than it is wide, in which case the aspect ratio will have the small number first and the big number second. And we call this portrait orientation. So if we take a four by three frame and we turn our camera sideways, then we suddenly have a three by four because now it's three wide, four tall. So mathematically, you would always reduce a ratio to the smallest possible num- whole number on each side of the colon. So we would write one, you know, one colon, one is one to one. And if your photograph was three inches by three inches, then your first approximation, your first guess at what the aspect ratio would be, would be three to three. But you would keep dividing until you're left with basically prime numbers each side of the colon, or rather numbers that don't divide into each other. It's more appropriate to say, not prime numbers. Uh, numbers that don't divide into each other. So one-to-one is, technically speaking, two-to-two, three-to-three, four-to-four, five-to-five, six-to-six, but we would never say that. We just say one-to-one. But for weirdo historical reasons, photographers, not mathematicians, photographers, will sometimes say six-by-four, where a mathematician would say three-to-two. And the reason for this is because in the olden days, when we had photographs produced as a final physical product, that final physical product had to have an aspect ratio. And that aspect ratio can be some number of inches across and some number of inches up. And so we got to know print sizes. And a lot of the time, now that we're working digitally, what we actually mean is an aspect ratio, because there's no concept of your digital photographing so many inches by so many inches. You just want, you know, the ratio of length to width but we will use the wording we're used to from physical print sizes. So we'll say six by four. What we really mean is three to two as a ratio. Six by four isn't a ratio. It's one number by another number. So, you know, six by four is very different as a print to 18 by 12 or three by two. But of course, in terms of an aspect ratio, those are identical to each other. They're all three to two. So every camera has a native aspect ratio, which is determined by the shape of the photosensitive thingy that's sitting in its heart, whatever that thingy happens to be. Digital sensor these days, um, some sort of sensitive material previous days. Uh, All of our photo editors, no matter how simplistic, will have a tool to allow us to crop our image. So we're not forced to keep the aspect ratio that came out of the camera. We can crop our image to any aspect ratio we like. So in theory, there are infinity possible aspect ratios at our disposal. And yet, just like even the most simplistic editing app gives a crop tool that will allow us to have any aspect ratio we like, I have yet to come across a photographic editing tool that doesn't give you presets for common aspect ratios. And the ones I tend to see are one-to-one, or square, 3 to 2, sometimes known as 6 by 4, which is the aspect ratio you get from 35mm film 
and also what you will get from crop sensor DSLRs and full frame DSLRs, which are of course exactly the same as 35mm film. So that 3 to 2 aspect ratio that you would have historically printed as a 6 by 4 inch print is sort of what I consider to be quote-unquote normal because I've just spent so much time with DSLRs. But for anyone who grew up in the point-and-shoot world or who now lives in the micro four-third world or who spends most of the time shooting with a smartphone, well, for you, the aspect ratio you're most comfortable with is actually four to three, which is closer to square. Another very historically very common aspect ratio is even closer to square is 5 to 4, which we would have known as an 8 by 10 print. Um, And that would be the shape of a lot of medium and large format cameras. Then thanks to the world of modern cinema, or modern televisions anyway, an aspect ratio we're extremely familiar with these days is 16 to 9, um, which is basically... HD video. And that's now just a really common format for panoramic photographs. Um, you know, 16.9 is close to, but not quite twice as wide as it is tall. 16 to 8, i.e. 2 to 1, would be twice as wide as it is tall. So 16.9 is close, but not exactly. And if you actually were to purchase a dedicated panoramic camera, which, of course, I don't think many of us would do these days, given that we can just use our phone and put it into panoramic mode and take any, you know, any width of panorama we want. But if you were to buy a dedicated panoramic camera, it would probably have been three to one in its aspect ratio. So in the past, unless we wanted to use a mat when we were framing our photograph, which is basically an arbitrary shape piece of cardboard that we would cut the shape we wanted out of and then place that over our photograph and then pop that into the frame unless you want to do your own matting you were always going to have an aspect ratio of whatever size print you were ordering from the print shop or printing yourself on a piece of paper you'd bought but in the digital age there's no reason we couldn't have any aspect ratio we wanted unless you're posting in places like Instagram where you have this artificially enforced square. So the the tyranny of the aspect ratio hasn't completely gone away in the digital world. There are still some places that will insist that you make something square, which is an interesting constraint. So we don't have to confine ourselves to this subset of commonly used aspect ratios. But on average, if you scroll through the internet, most photographs are 3 by 2 or 4 by 3 so those really are the most common, and thanks to Instagram, I guess, square gets to be third most common. So why? Well, my belief is that it's because those ratios that were chosen when we were physically building the aspect ratios into our cameras, I don't think they were chosen arbitrarily. I think they were chosen because they feel right to us human beings. And some ratios feel silly and some ratios feel good. And I think the ones that have stuck are the ones that feel right. But there's there's a two-way streak going here because historically they would have been picked because they felt right. But now they may feel right because we see them so often. So I'm not sure which is the chicken and which is the egg today. Do I like 3 by 2 because I grew up on 3 by 2 Or do you like 4 by 3 because you grew up with camera phones? Or do we all like 16 by 9 because it makes us think of we're watching a cool movie? Or do we like Square because that's what, you know, various internet things have got us used to? 
Or are the internet-y things getting us used to 3x2 and 4x3 because they feel right? Yeah, I don't know which is the chicken which is the egg anymore, but it's an interesting thought. Personally, I like to... I like to pick... I like to chop and change. I don't I don't feel myself constrained. I don't feel, well, my camera is this aspect ratio, but this aspect ratio, therefore every photograph I take must remain at this aspect ratio. I've never felt constrained to, to keep my crops at the original aspect ratio. But I do almost always stick to the common aspect ratios. The one notable exception being when I shoot panos with my iPhone. And for some reason, it doesn't bother me that they come out as arbitrary uh, aspect ratios. But maybe it's because they're so abnormally wide, you know, the normal rules just don't apply. I ha- Also, it should be noted, actually, that one of the reasons 16 to 9 in particular works very well for us human beings is it's quite close to the aspect ratio of our vision. So with our two eyes next to each other in our face, we don't see the square of the world. We see a strip through the world. And 16 to 9 isn't exactly the strip we see through the world, but it's pretty darn close, actually. So that may be one of the reasons why we like 16 to 9 uh, as an aspect ratio. So I actually think that it's worth, even though you don't have to, it's actually worth considering staying in the common aspect ratios. And like I say, I pretty much always do. I'm perfectly happy to chop and change. And when I come to editing a shot, I may say, no, no, this will work better as a square or this will work better as a 16 by 9 or what you want to yeah. So the, the three aspect ratios I use infinitely more than all the others is three by two, i.e., what my camera actually shoots, sixteen to nine and square. Um, but occasionally, um, if the subject calls for it, I'll use an eight by ten or, or i.e., five to four or a four to three. Um, but I think on the whole, I prefer the other the, the, uh, square three by two and sixteen by nine. Um. I would also say that one of the nice things, so the re, you know, to me, it's, I, I like the fact that we're now liberated. So our choice of aspect ratio is now artistic. It's it's an artistic choice we make. Our camera is a particular aspect ratio, but we have so many megapixels. It doesn't matter if you throw a bunch of pixels away. If it results in a photograph that looks better, we're not really losing out. So it's fine. So we have the liberty to you know, make our picture look its best in whatever aspect ratio we like, which is really nice. I find that when it comes to choosing an aspect ratio, as I say, for me, it's an artistic choice. Some subjects lend themselves to specific aspect ratios. So I will often take a photograph knowing it is going to end up as a square or a 16 to 9. Um, Round things. I really like centering within a square frame. So a macro shot of a flower taken face on centres very nicely in a square. When I'm working with landscapes, I really do like that 16 by 9 because it's so close. I think it's because it's so close to what we humans see and landscapes are the kind of thing where that's what we want. We want to capture that vista that we get while standing there. And so I do a lot of my landscapes with crop 16 to 9. I also generally find that if you have a reflection you definitely want to have wider rather than taller. And so as well as some subjects sort of being more at home in certain aspect ratios, I would also say that when you're faced with a scene, your choices of composition and your choice of aspect ratio, they really play off each other. Um, 
I mean, a composition sits within a frame. So if you change the shape of the frame, you need to adjust your composition. And so one of the reasons I'll often change an aspect ratio is because it works better with the diagonals available to me in the scene. I really like diagonals. Or I like to have things enter or leave at a corner of the frame. And, you know, in order to get your subject where you want it and to have your entry or exit point of some sort of diagonal element where you want it, you may need to choose an aspect ratio different to your cameras. And so I look at adjusting my aspect ratio as being very much part of fine-tuning my composition. And so I, I find it impossible to separate the concepts of composition from aspect ratio. And because I really like getting my compositions to feel right... I really like changing my aspect ratios as needed to help me get there. And so I'm not at all a believer in this notion that you should, you know, well, if the camera shot at, you know, two by three, then you should keep to two by three forever. I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. I will crop and basically a crop to whatever aspect ratio and composition makes for the best possible shot. And to me, the two are part of the same artistic process. Anyway, that is my ponderings and my definition I guess so the, that is the actual definition of what an aspect ratio is and my artistic musings around the topic so that's what we've covered the art and craft of photography there so let's move on um, and let us answer a listener question so again just a reminder if you have a question you can submit it at let'slashtalk.ie forward slash photo q so listener Cass sent me an email does a change in sensor size change the depth of field? Or does a change of focal length change the depth of field? The reason I ask is I've taken up 4x5 photography. I have a 127mm lens on my field camera and also a 127mm lens on my 6x7 camera. And the resulting depth of field seems the same when shot at the same aperture. Both use the same film, Kodak, Tri-X. Sorry, Tri-X. Am I just imagining this or is it real? I'm confused as this goes against what I have read and heard on the internet. Do larger sensors make for thinner depth of field? Question mark. Okay, so your depth of field or your DOF isn't actually determined by any one single factor. If you keep everything else constant and vary one thing, you can vary your depth of field. But actually, there's at least four things that go into determining the depth of field for a given setup. And the reason I'm being weaselly and using the word at least is because I'm afraid I've forgotten one. I think it's four. Well, it might be slightly more than four. But it definitely, these four things I'm about to say definitely do affect your depth of field. So the obvious one, the one that we all use artistically the most often, is aperture. So if we want to assert, assert assertive control, assert creative control over the DOF, we would, generally speaking, twiddle the aperture knob on our camera. And that way, if we you know, use a bigger physical aperture, smaller F number, if we open up our lens, we will decrease the depth of field. On the other hand, if we twiddle the dial the other way, so if we make the aperture physically smaller or increase the F number or stop it down, we will get more depth of field. And in fact, a pinhole camera has an infinite depth of field. So that's the obvious first one. The second thing that definitely also affects your depth of field is the focal length. So if you kept your aperture the same, basically if you kept everything about your camera the same, but you just changed the focal length, so maybe you have a zoom lens on or maybe you swap one lens for another, the change in focal length, if you keep everything else the same, will result 
in a shallower depth of field. So a wide-angle lens will tend to have a deep depth of field, while a telephoto lens will tend to have a very compressed, shallow depth of field. And it's because telephoto lenses compress things, so that shallows things out, and, yeah, so they won't stretch them. Um, and you can have fun with this, actually. Uh, so something I love doing, uh, I have a, a nice wide-angle lens, ten uh, twenty, and I love getting physically close to say, a butterfly or something, or a flower, so that it takes up a lot of room in the frame. But because I still get, even though, basically because it's just a small number of focal length, so 10 or 20 millimeters, I get to keep my depth of field, even though I'm, you know, really, I've got a big flower in the field. Whereas if I were to, you know, do a typical thing, use a normal sort of telephoto lens and zoom into the flower, I'd have a tiny depth of field. And it allows you to give a macro shot where you can still see the context. It's not, you know, it's not perfectly sharp, but you can see enough of the context to get some subject separation and to see what the universe, you know, to see the context that the thing lives within. So if you go to the show notes at less-talk.ie, I've actually included an example photograph where I used my 1020 lens to get right up close to a dandelion growing in the lawns of St. Patrick's College, Maynooth. And because the focal length is so small, the depth of field has managed to remain big. And so even though it's a macro shot of a flower, you can clearly see the setting that the flower is within. And I just think that's a very fun shot. So aperture is the first one, focal length is the second one. The third thing that helps determine your depth of field is the focus distance. So not the focal length, the focus distance. So how near or far is the thing I am focused on from the front of my lens? So if you keep everything else the same, so you take the same lens and the same camera with the same aperture setting, so f8, 105mm, same camera, and you put something really close to the lens and you focus on it, and then you take a picture, you will have a very shallow depth of field. And then you take exactly the same f number, exactly the same camera, exactly the same lens, zoom to exactly the same position, but instead you focus on the distant horizon, you will now have a really deep depth of field. So the distance you focus at has a massive effect on your depth of field. And then the fourth factor is sensor size. Small sensors, deep depth of field. Big sensors, shallow depth of field. And this is why phone cameras have to resort to software trickery like portrait mode to simulate the shallow depth of field you simply get for free with a full frame camera. Uh, and it's also why DSLR photographers always drooled over a full-frame sensor versus their crop-frame sensor. It's because the crop-frame sensor will have a harder time getting that creamy, smooth background on a portrait or whatever. The bigger sensor in the 35mm makes it easier to get your out-of-focus background. And if you move up to my medium or large for my cameras, you end up with these huge F numbers that make would make no sense to you on your DSLR, like F64 or F128. And the reason is because if you didn't go to those stupendously large F numbers, the big sensor would be collapsing your depth of field right down. So definitely sensor size, big sensor, shallow depth of field, small sensor, big depth of field. So the four things I know about that affect the depth of field are the aperture, the focal length, the focus distance, and the sensor size. So I hope that was helpful, Cass. Um, thank you for taking the time to send in a question. And if you have a burning question that you would like to send me, you can go to let's talk.ie 
forward slash photo queue. All right, folks, that's going to round us out for another month. You will find detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie. While you're over there, as well as the button for submitting a question, you will also find a section in the sidebar called support the show. I want to thank everyone who has supported the show. This is an entirely listener-supported show. There are no advertisers. There are no sponsors. This is you guys supporting me in creating this content, and I greatly appreciate it. The support I get from you guys comes in many forms. The act of submitting a question is a really good support because it makes it easier for me to come up with topics for the show. The act of reviewing the show on iTunes really helps, or not just iTunes, any podcatcher, because it helps the show climb up the rankings. It helps more people find the show. The more people who find the show, the more people who will support the show in some way. Just the better things are. So, you know, sharing the show, reviewing the show, telling people about the show, all extremely valuable support, and I really appreciate it. And then, of course, from a practical keeping the lights on point of view, there are bills to be paid. I'm not in a position to pay those bills myself. I need podcasting to be a break-even thing for me at the moment. That's just where I am in life. Therefore, anyone who supports the show financially is literally making it possible for the show to be able to continue to exist. A lot of you do, and I really appreciate it. There's two easy ways, two obvious ways, that everyone could support the show. Patreon allows you to pledge a small dollar amount per episode release. will be exactly two every month, one photography, one Apple. Or there's a PayPal button, which is a really efficient way to give one-off donations that are a little bit larger. Then if you happen to be, like me, the kind of nerd who needs VMs in the cloud or domains registered, then I have affiliate links for DigitalOcean's wonderful cloud hosting platform, which is what's holding up less-talk.ie, bar2b.ie. It's, it's holding up most of my life, to be honest. Um, if you use my affiliate link to sign up with DigitalOcean, when you spend, when your spend crosses $50, you will get some free money, and I will get some free money. When I say free money, I mean free account credit. But it's, you know, it really helps me pay the bills, to be honest. Or if you're the kind of person who needs a domain name, I have another affiliate link for Hover.com, my domain registrar of choice. I use them for everything apart from .ie domains because very few companies in the world are legally allowed to sell .ie domains and unfortunately, most sadly, Hover is not one of them. Wish they were. They're not. But anyway, all of my other domains are registered through Hover.com. If you use my affiliate link, I'm afraid you don't get anything from Hover, but I do get money off my domains uh, the more people use the affiliate link. So it helps me to keep the show on the air and it's, you know, you wanted a domain anyway, so hey, it's a good way to help the show in passing. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling on now. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope the summer weather is being kind to you, unless you're Alistair listening in the Southern Hemisphere, in which case I hope you're having some beautiful winter weather. Either way, until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. I don't know who you are, but I will find you. And when I do, you had better be listening to the Tech Fan Podcast. Because if you're not, well, you may not live long enough to regret it. Remember, it's called the Tech Fan Podcast. Listen, and you won't regret it.